rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. So thankful to each and every one of you taking this time out to celebrate my birthday and my pastoral anniversary. I do greatly appreciate it. One of the things I struggle with, uh, just as a as a man, is celebration or celebrating people. It's, it's a little hard for me. A uh, wise old preacher once told me, when people want to bless you, let them bless you. So I try to live by that as best I can. But there's a struggle inside of me that, while I greatly appreciate it, I never wanted to lead me to get the big head. Well, I think we, we've seen people with the big head. I know that's right. So I, I do appreciate it um, so very much. It touches my heart that you would do all that you've done to be a blessing to me. Um, what I do, I don't do to receive anything. I just love you, and as Angie said, I shared with her, I just want to see you success without the mess. Amen. I want to see you advance without the struggle. I know that we're living in a time where the struggle is real. Yes, it is. Hallelujah. But I believe that our God is greater than the struggle. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So I do salute you and I do thank you for all that you've done. I will put those uh, golf tickets to good use. And I promise you, you will not have a problem with me using them. And I saw something that said 2021 is to come, so I'll be looking forward to that as well. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We salute our visitors. You're not really a visitor, you're part of the family. We thank the Lord for our visitors. I know you've been tuning in in Bible study, and I pray that it's been a blessing to you and that you continue to do that. Hallelujah. I believe that. The success of our life is connected to our understanding of God's word. Right. It is what will translate us into the best life we can ever imagine. And the Bible tells us that he will give us exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Yeah. If I don't know how to ask or if I don't know how to think, I rob myself of the blessing that he Come has in store for us. Amen. So I salute you and I thank you for coming for the music ministry. Amen. I appreciate BJ letting me get on the drums there a little bit. I know the praise team gets a little nervous when I get on there, especially if they're going to do a semi-fast song. Because a semi-fast song is going to be a fast song. Hallelujah. Because that's how we did it in the Bronx, New York. Hallelujah. We went 150 miles an hour. Hallelujah. When we were praising. And dancing and giving God glory. We would wear drummers and organists out. They'd have to take shifts. Hallelujah. That's just how we did it in New York. That, that, that was the way we did it back then. Fingers and arms and joints would be hurting by the time the musicians were done. Hallelujah. But the church would still be praising God. Hallelujah. But I thank you for letting me get on there and knocking a little bit of my rust off. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, again, for those that have tuned in, uh, via technology, we thank you for your presence, and uh, we're praying God's blessings over you and um, victory. And I, I receive wholeheartedly what Sister, what Sister Angela said that um, depending on how you look at things, 2020 could be a troublesome year. Um, 
we're dealing with the co the coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, I can't say it like Elder Marshall said it. Pandemic. 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 We're dealing with that. One of uh, my pastors, Bishop Shouse, Edward Shouse, uh, calls it the pestilence of 2020 because it is something that has been sent to pester us. And I, I believe that how you view a thing determines the power that that thing has over you. It becomes very easy to just accept everything that man has to say about this disease. And I, I don't say this to discount the science or the wisdom that God has given us in our natural uh, sense to understand disease and understand viruses and to do the things that are necessary to uh, be cautious and uh, practice good sense. Amen. But I also understand that those things have to be tapered by what God's word declares. Amen. And I know, I believe that we are marked. I look at this season as um, an outcry of God against humanity. But I've already responded to the cry of God, so I'm not worried about what's going on in the world because I'm not in the world. I am in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his dear son. Hallelujah. And I just believe that God will keep me. And if it's my time to go and COVID-19 is my ticket out, that I know where I'm going and I have no fear about what it may hold for me. Hallelujah. So I'm just looking at things in a different lens so this truly as angela said is really more of a year of opportunity for the church Amen. to begin to stand upon the things we've been singing about dancing about talking about for all these years and it seems like every time tribulation hits the earth the church is not responding as it should respond. So the world comes to the church and sees the church grieving just like the world. And then the church and the world part ways again. I, I just would think that if the church would ever just stop being swayed by the world and the way the world sees things and the way the world um, you know, deals with things and just start dealing with things and seeing things the way God would have us to see it. When the church came to see us, they would see a party every Sunday. They, they wouldn't see us running from the church or from fellowship, but running to fellowship, understanding that we're doing for gathered in his name and he is in our midst. And if he is in our midst, the power of his protection is over us. I, I, maybe I am strange and different and crazy, but I just believe that God is able. Amen. He's a keeper, he's a deliverer, he's a healer. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore, and everything that I need is in him. Amen. So I'm just excited about uh, what God is doing and uh, the opportunities that have pre been presented. And I want you to understand this before I get into the lesson for today. Some of the greatest land deals, I'm going to bring this to a natural level. Some of the greatest land purchases were made during times of depression. Amen. Yeah. Because when things are devalued, 
people take their resources and purchase it with the expectation that it will once again gain value. Amen. You'll, you'll see that there are two types of people during times of financial depression. There are those that use it as an opportunity uh -huh. to invest, knowing that depression will come and it will go. Amen. And they take advantage of the decrease in the um, things that the way things cost. They'll purchase things low, stocks, bonds, land, building, businesses. They'll invest in it. And then once we come out of this season, they're sitting pretty. Amen. And then you've got people that will just take what they have. They'll hoard it. Yeah. They'll bury it in the sand. Well, and then they'll be mad when the season is over and they're stuck right where they've always been. Yeah. I believe that every day is a day of opportunity for the child of God. Amen. Amen. If the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein, then every single day, every single crisis, every single tribulation, every single trouble is an opportunity yeah. for God to amen. magnify his brilliance above my trouble. Amen, amen. And I, I'm just crazy enough to believe that God will get us through Amen. all of this. Amen. 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 We may have setbacks along the way. Things may not work like we want them to do. I'm so tickled by um, some of the testimonies I've heard about how God has delivered people, how they lost everything only to be more than restored. Amen. And I'm not talking about testimonies outside of this church, Sister Marcella is a living, walking Woo! witness of God's grace and mercy. And the things that he has done. You know it. Hallelujah. And I'm just excited about what God is doing. My sister Leah has been struggling to purchase a home. And it seemed like every time she would um, you know, get close, something would fall apart and it wouldn't work. But God... I always believe God has something in store for you. And what he has for you is for you. Hallelujah. Sometimes we are moving to grab something that ain't for us. So God allows it not to work. Because what he has for us is what's best for us. Hallelujah. So sometimes he just wants us to trust him. And I'm so excited about my sister and the steps that they're taking. And. Uh, they're uh, very close to signing to purchase their Ooh, home. Hallelujah. And I'm excited about it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was a few Sundays ago. We were outside in the uh, on the front yard, and, and the Spirit of the Lord was with us. And uh, I made a statement uh, in this moment, whatever you declare, that shall you have. And my sister started making declarations about her home, and it wasn't within but just a couple weeks that things that she thought was the way to go fell apart, and then something just popped on the market. Hadn't even been on the market, was it an hour or a couple days, and it just popped on there. Her realtor didn't even know about it. That's how fresh and new it was. She called her realtor and said, I want to go see that. Amen. Now, this is how you know something. God, this is for you. Hallelujah. Now, I know some people say, oh, he, you know, he's speaking. You got to understand, sometimes you got to speak prophetically. Right. Not prophetically, but prophetically. Oh, and, and so 
you know, they when she when she called a realtor, her realtor said we would check into there was an open house, and of course, what they were looking at is beautiful, and of course now other people wanted it. You know, it's amazing how every time God has something for you, somebody else wants to put their hands on it. Right, right. Uh, but when you understand it's for you, it doesn't matter whose hands are on. Amen. Hallelujah. And there was an offer placed on this house, and, and, and the offer that they um, placed on the house, you know, you would begin thinking, well, then, you know, it's like just another one that's just slipped away. Uh, but it wasn't what they, the people wanted. It wasn't what the owner of the house was going to be satisfied with. So they reach out to my sister and say, well, look, we have an offer, but can you, can you do better? Amen. She made an offer less than the value of the house. <laughs> and they're close to signing. Everything's been already done. It's in underwriting. And I believe that they'll be signing here. Yeah. And I, 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 I have to learn to let go, sit back, and watch God work. The Bible says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Help me, Holy Ghost. I, I did come prepared today with a lesson. Hallelujah. We want to talk to you today. I'm trying, in as I get older, to be less of a preacher and more of a teacher. Sometimes they get carried away. That's all right. But I do want to teach you something because some of the very things that are keeping us from our success are things that we should easily defeat. Amen. Especially when Jesus has already defeated them. And what I'm talking about today is the power of sin. The power that sin has over our life. Our carnal nature. We started talking about this last week, and we were talking about the crisis in the gardens, and the steps to sin, how you end up in sin, where it started, the trickery that was displayed by our adversary, the devil. And I want to try my best today to conclude this study so that we can fully understand why we have become slaves to past sinful behavior. When Jesus has delivered us from oppression of the very sin that controlled our former lives. Amen. Just last week I identified for you some key elements which causes us to repeat sin. How many of you have ever really been honest and, and you're in your prayer life and you're talking to God and uh, you know you really felt delivered by something? Maybe you have an addiction and you thought God really delivered you from this addiction. Doesn't matter what it is. And then all of a sudden something happens and you find yourself repeating even what you thought you had been delivered from. Well, whether it's a, an attitude, whether it's a, a device, whether it's some type of a drug or alcohol or a behavior. It doesn't matter what the... See, sometimes we think addiction is only drugs and alcohol. Amen. Come on. Right. 
There, there are some church folk that are addicted to a whole lot of stuff that drugs and alcohol ain't got nothing on them. And we keep pretending like it's not an addiction and then we realize we can't get free from it because you're addicted and you refuse to identify what it is that you're dealing with. But I gave for you, and I'm, I'm just going to quickly remind you, these seven steps. First, the first step of sin is the invitation. The second step of sin is being confronted with suggestive and enticing or tempting thoughts. You've been invited to sin, and then you begin to formulate sin in your mind. Then you entertain, step three, you harbor, you begin to talk about these thoughts in your mind. The fourth step is then doubting the consequences of God's word connected to what it is you've been enticed with. Step five is thinking that you'll be more fulfilled if you do it. You'll gain more, you'll benefit more by doing the very thing you've been enticed with rather than following God's instruction. The sixth step is then now looking and desiring or lusting. It's no longer coming after you, but you're going after it. Well. Step seven is committing the sin. You actually begin the process of carrying out or manifesting what it is that has been introduced and thought about and developed uh, and managed in your mind. Or in Eve's case, you actually eat the forbidden fruit. And then the last thing is you lead other people to fall to sin. You become a stumbling block. We've talked in uh, a detail last week, and I kind of did it. And, and this was really for my baby sister, Leanna. I, I did it in a uh, oral argument as if we were in a courthouse uh, because she's an attorney and I love her and I just wanted her to see that. But um, we, we share our conversations with each other back and forth and that's kind of how we communicate uh, because I also work in law enforcement. She's in, in, in the court side. It's kind of like the TV series Law and Order. Uh -huh. uh, we go back and forth and, and, and we kind of um, bounce things off of each other. Have you ever watched Law and Order? The cops yeah. can't never seem to get nothing right. Right. Well, doesn't matter what the cops did in the first half hour, the second half hour, Law and Order, the, the court always undoes everything and then they have to fix it all up. And so she kind of thinks that she has to do that for me. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we, we talked about the invitation and we, uh, we, we talked about the spiritual power. Uh, there are powers behind everything that you're dealing with, including suggestive thought, which is the, the engine behind your temptation. Temptation in and of itself is powerless. It cannot move. It needs something to be enacted upon it to cause it to move. And that power is your suggestive thought. The second step in temptation and sin involves discussing those thoughts, which is the very manifestation or the entertaining, the harboring, the uh, focusing of your thought power upon the very thing that you're dealing with. It's the manifestation of the thoughts which takes you to step three. Uh, and this is where we start conversations with ourselves, and sometimes we even talk to other folk about the very things that we're thinking. You know. When you start trying to justify within yourself something that you're thinking, or you start looking for people who will agree with what you're thinking, you're doing this so that you can feel better about carrying out that tempting thought. You're trying to find somebody that's going to agree, and most of the time, you will agree with yourself that what you're getting ready to do is the right thing to do until you've done it and you realize, I shouldn't have done that. 
the very things you would say and have said, no one would catch you dead doing. It's easy for us to say that we know better or we are good girls and good boys, but the reality is we often end up doing the very things we have said we would not do. I preached about this not too uh, long ago about the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, 14 through 21, where it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that is in me, my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then law. That is when I would do good, evil is present with me. Very practically what happens with a suggestive thought, it, it begins to tempt us. The suggestive thought flies across our mind and as it's moving across our sphere of thinking, it begins to infect our sin nature or our carnality. It is the very thing that begins to wake up what is supposed to be dead in us. How many of you, uh, when you were growing up, lived near or went by a grave, a grave uh, um, graveyard? You ever notice that when you go by a graveyard, you be quiet? You, you tiptoe by, you try to just, like, I don't want them to know I'm out here and they don't, you know... Uh, I don't want to know that they're in, I don't want to wake nobody up. You, you try to be quiet. But in our mind, the sin that is in us that has been crucified with Christ, we, we try to wake it up. We try to, in the graveyard of our thinking, wake up what is dead. This is our flesh's opportunity to act or our spirit's opportunity to respond to what is going on. At this point, the thought should be rejected. It shouldn't be uh, entertained or harbored or even discussed. Amen. But our carnal nature infuses itself with the very thought that has been introduced into our mind. And then it becomes emboldened or empowered to carry itself out even when our spiritual mind is saying no. Even when we are telling ourselves, I don't want to do this, how often have you found yourself doing what you're telling yourself the whole time you don't want to do? Or you're doing something and you feel terrible about it the entire time that you're doing it when the reason you were doing it is because you thought you were going to get some type of self-satisfaction from the very thing that it was you were doing. <laughs> but the whole time you're doing it, you're miserable. You're not getting any enjoyment out of it because you know your spirit is saying, hey, stop. Yeah. Turn left. Yeah. Go right. Yeah. Get up. Lay down. And you're doing everything opposite of what your spirit mind is telling you so that you can carry it out. You see, a tempting thought, a thought that suggests we sin, that we disobey God's word, should never be harbored 
or entertained. And this is where we as the people of God begin to fail. Some of us think that we are so super spiritual that we can harbor and play with thought in our mind that's contrary to God's word. And somehow, because we are super spiritual beings, we got capes with S's across our chest and a cross on our back. We are covered in the blood. We are anointed of God. We are powerful men and women of God that somehow we can play with these thoughts in our mind and uh, they're not going to manifest. Well, It's just like the person who um, goes to AA, they tell you to stay away from bars. Why? Because you got a problem with drinking. Well, what do you do in a bar? You drink. So they tell you to stay away. What do some folk do? I just want to go sit there. What you're doing is you're playing with thought. Now, we tell ourselves, I just want to go sit there to see that I'm actually delivered from it. When the Bible tells us you, you need to go the other direction. Because if you sit in that atmosphere long enough, you will take a drink. And if you take one drink, you will take two drinks. And if you take two drinks, well, you might as well just go ahead and drink a cake. That's, that's the way your mind will begin. At this point, I've already given over. I might as well really just throw, just throw caution to the wind. But this is the way the mind works. When you break the barrier of discipline that keeps you from doing certain things, then floodgates open and you find yourself doing it voraciously. So you have to stop entertaining. If you're taking notes today, the first thing you need to do is stop entertaining. When the invitation comes, don't read the invitation. Because you're invited to something does not mean you need to read what it is you're invited to. Just don't even read the invitation. If you happen to read it, stop thinking about it. Because that's when you start getting yourself into trouble. Because there is a power in you, in your carnal nature, that is trying to live. The Bible would not tell us to crucify our flesh daily. And it's not talking about going out and setting yourself on fire. Or hanging yourself on a cross every day. What it's talking about is that there is a power in your carnal nature. This struggle that you're going to, that you're going through, that you're dealing with. That's contrary to the word of God. Your car, we keep thinking uh, the devils are a real problem. The devil is just an introducer. That's all the devil. All the devil does is introduce you, but he cannot make you. He can't, if the devil could make you, Eve would have had no chance in the garden because the devil would have just made her eat the fruit. The problem is, is he doesn't have power to make you do a thing. All he can do is introduce to you a thing. But you have to empower yourself to do it. All right. Yeah, we've tried to get rid of, you know, everything that you can that will challenge sin in your life. We get rid of it as fast as we can. Unchallenged sinful thinking is like allowing roaches to move in. And once they move in, 
You know what roaches do immediately upon coming into a structure? They multiply. They reproduce. What is the law that I've told you? Every seed reproduces after its kind. Roaches multiply. That's what they do. They come into a house. If you have one roach, you're going to have thousands of roaches in your house. They multiply. That's what they do. They reproduce after their own kind. This is what happens to your thought life. When you allow thoughts to come into your mind, they begin to reproduce after their own kind. You start thinking about things you shouldn't. Then you start seeing things that you're thinking about. You ever buy a car and then all of a sudden now everyone on the planet is driving the same car you're driving? Or you, you see an outfit that you like and then all of a sudden now everybody's wearing that same outfit? It, it, it's like it doesn't matter. Things just begin to reproduce. You begin to see it more often. Amen. Then you decide you don't want these things any longer. The problem is, is because they've reproduced. They've taken over the residence. Oh, wow. And if anyone knows anything about roaches, it's very difficult to get rid of roaches. You're right. In this life, especially living in this nation, we cannot always keep from being tempted. But we can always flee temptation. You cannot always keep the appealing thing from crossing your eyesight, but you can turn your head or the channel. Amen. We can't always help the first look, but you can and do control the second look or that prolonged look. And it's that second or prolonged look that gets you, brethren, every single time. You can't always keep thoughts from crossing your mind, but you can prevent, prevent them from roosting in your mind. You can't always keep the first suggestive temptation from entering your thought life, but you can push it out of your thought life by turning your thoughts and mind to something else in particular, like quoting scripture. The problem is, is that the enemy knows scripture better than some of us. The enemy can quote the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, every single version. King James, New King James, New International Version, Life Studies Bible. He knows them all and quotes them better than us. And he quotes them and then he'll misquote them and because it sounds so close and we're not really studied up, we miss it. Herein lies the problem that Eve had. This is not what Eve did. This is something that she should have done. The first thing, or something she shouldn't have done. The first thing is she entertained or she harbored the suggestive thought. It's at this point that Eve begins the process of sin. She turns away from God's goodness. I want you to, to kind of put this as a second major point today. Sin is a turn from the goodness of God. As, you can, as we continue to examine the text, you're going to find something that's missing in Genesis 2 and 16. Eve omits a word when she repeats something that God said. 
She takes out of the word every or all from every tree. She simply says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees. That's not what God said. He said, you may eat of the fruit of every tree except this one. You see, when we begin to remove words, we change the context those words are associated with. And when you change the context, you change the outcome of what's being said. You see, God's goodness is giving us all the trees, but she diminishes it in her mind by removing the word every. Her thoughts have now begun to slip from the goodness of God. She's no longer focused upon what God has done for her. She's turned her thought away from God and his goodness and is harboring and discussing the suggestive thought that she feels God is keeping something from her. You see, sin will cause you to believe that God is keeping something good from you. Wow. The enemy wants you to begin to believe that the very thing that you're trying to accomplish is better than all that God has given you. You see, sin actually begins when the suggestive thought is harbored and then entertained. It is then that God and his goodness begun getting rejected or ignored or neglected or pushed aside. You see, Eve started a process in her mind that God is not as good as he said. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we've actually thought God is holding stuff from us. You know, when you didn't get, you know, who you had an eye on. I must have married the wrong one. This is, these, these are the things we begin to tell ourselves. As if God is holding back. If you look at the word of God, you'll find that God always gives first. His desire is to give, not to take away. He always tells you the abundance of what you have. The enemy causes you to focus on the little that you don't have. And because you focus on it, the mind will tell you that the little is now greater than the whole. Because that is where your focus is. Whatever your thought is on, it becomes the predominant thing in your life. Number two, Eve begins to feel that God's command is too strict. How many of you kids have thought some of the rules in your house are too restrictive? This was not a raise your hand moment. <laughs> I applaud all the young folks for the honesty, though. But this is true. This is the way we think. We, we, we sometimes think that God's rules 
are too restrictive. Like, I used to think Lady Maria's rules were too restrictive. Well, we couldn't watch Happy Days. Happy Days. Happy Days. We had to eat our food in a certain you know, pattern. What? Vegetable, what? starch, uh -huh. meat. You couldn't mix them. You couldn't skip one and go back to the other. I'm 52 years old and I still do this. I tried to do it another way and I still end up reverting right back to going through that process. Too restrictive. We think that the, the rules are preventing us. You see, the rule exists so we can get the benefit from all the parts. We keep wanting to jump to the only part that we think is good, not realizing that all the parts are good. We, Eve begins to think that God's commandment is too restrictive. Well, how, how do I justify that? Well, I'm going to tell you. Because God didn't say something that Eve said God said. Genesis 2 and 17. She says, neither shall you touch it. God simply said, you shall not eat of it. You see, this shows that Eve wasn't trusting God, that he was giving her everything that she could benefit from. She started a process, and this is a very dangerous word. This is probably one of the most dangerous words that will ever enter your mind, and that is rationalization. When you begin to rationalize things in your thought life, that the touching the tree would really be all right. Perhaps she could not eat of it, but touching it couldn't hurt anything. I'm not going to drink alcohol, but maybe sitting in the bar is okay. I'm not going to watch pornography, but maybe I'll watch the NC-17. You see, thoughts begin running back and forth, rationalizing God's word. Eve begins to entertain, to harbor to allow the thoughts to become tempting. She's rationalizing so that she can justify her intention. Her intention is to follow through and eat the fruit. So she has to rationalize in her mind why it is okay to do that. She's now thinking how restrictive God's word is. And because God's word is restrictive, then so is his goodness. God had not provided the very best for her. Eve was right in the midst of sinning by questioning and doubting the great goodness of God. But we do the very same thing when we start allowing ourselves to compromise our discipline under the guise of freedom. We think that grace allows us to sin when grace is the power to be free That's right. from sin. Amen. 
Number three, Eve begins to think about the consequences of sin. How many times my father would tell me, you have to weigh the cost. Is what you're going to pay worth what you're going to get? I've used this in counseling sessions. Is what you're getting worth what you're going to invest? Do the ends justify the means? Are the means worth it? Are the tears you're going to cry worth the pain that you're really going to endure for the 10 seconds of joy you think you might get. What I'm putting in is it equal to or greater than what I'm getting out or is what I'm getting out greater than what I'm putting in? You see, Eve, she brought light to consequences when she said, Lest you die or you will die. Because this is not what God said. God didn't pull any punches. He said that man would surely, not surely, surely die. So Eve begins to rationalize a chain of thoughts is running through her mind about what God's word is declaring. What is happening is a wavering, a wondering, or here's a, a, a real good one. It's okay to ask questions. The problem is, is that's what you're doing. You're questioning the validity of God's goodness. You see, when you begin to question God's goodness, you've detailed for yourself that you've forgotten the goodness of God. She's no longer thinking about God and all that he has done for her. She's flipping and slipping further and further away from God and rationalizing her decline more and more. And this is what we do. And this is how we end up right back where we've been delivered from. But if you simply close the invitation, you won't even begin the process. But if you slip up and begin the process, you can stop it at every step of the way by changing your thought process. Amen. The third step in temptation and sin involves doubt. What is it that you're doubting? You're doubting God's consequences. Or the consequences of God's word connected to the very thing that you're trying to accomplish. You see, the, the suggestive thought is taking root in your mind. You've heard me say this before. Anything that remains rootless remains fruitless. An unrooted thing cannot grow. Amen. It cannot produce a harvest. Doesn't matter, good or bad. All things, good or bad. We cannot grow 
if they do not first root themselves. This is why they tell you, what about weeds? You can't just cut them off. You got to pull them at the root. Because when weeds get rooted, they're difficult to get rid of. This is what's happening in the mind of Eve. Suggestive, tempting thought is taking root. Anything strong has a, uh, um, a massive root system. Anyone that's owned a house and, is, and has trees near the house may have, or if you haven't, you could in the future run into a problem where the roots of the tree become destructive to your home. Now, while we are just looking at the surface and above and we're worried about the storm that comes that may knock our tree over, we don't even realize that truly strongly rooted trees won't waver in the wind, but their roots will take our walls out. They'll grow right through your basement walls. My wife and I experienced that in a home that we owned where the roots of the tree were so massive they were growing above the ground but they, because they couldn't get enough nourishment under the ground and they were growing into our house. Now, our neighbor, our current neighbor around the corner from us cut a tree down because the tree was sick but the root, the stump, that's the bottom part of a tree when you cut it, the, the little part that sticks above the ground. The stump is connected to the roots. And they're trying to get the stump out. So they set it on fire. They drill holes in it. They pour gasoline in it. They put brush on top of it. And they lit it on fire. And it burned for over a day, it was, it was like a day, day and a half, this thing's on fire. I mean, it was a blaze, and then it's smoldering, and even when we were coming this morning, it was still smoking. <laughs> but you know what was still there? The roots. Because the only way to get rid of roots is to uproot them. That stump is still there. It's charred, it's burned, but it's laughing. Because the only way to get a stump out is to grind it out, and you grind it out by taking a device that drills into it and eats it up, tears it up as it's going down, and as it's drilling, the drill gets wider and wider and wider until the drill itself is bigger than the stump itself. And the only thing left is dust. This is what we ought to do to our minds with the Word of God. Like but what we do is we wonder if we can get away with. Should we experiment? You see, we have a lot of mad scientists running around the church. We think that this is a laboratory and it's the place where we just try stuff. We, we like to try stuff. We think that this is... The opportunity, uh, I don't know how many of you cook, but how many, how many of you ever cooked and you figure, I'll try this different seasoning to right. see how it changes the flavor of what I'm working. 
But this, this is what we do. We, we in the church, we try stuff. We're good at, we, we are good at trying stuff. The church is like a smorgasbord. You can get almost anything in the church. And we try it with the expectation that maybe I can get this off. Maybe if not enough people know, I can get this off. Then suddenly, unbelievably, when you're in this position, the devil will thrust a lie into your mind. See, this is how the, the enemy works. How many of you have ever tenderized meat? You tenderize meat by beating the snot out of it. And that's what the enemy is doing in your mind with suggested thoughts. He's tenderizing you so that you are prepared to receive his lie. This is what he says in Genesis 3 and 4 to Eve. He says, you shall not surely die. So Eve had already been doubting the consequences that God had said. God said, you will surely die. The devil says, you're, you're not surely going to die. Are you sure he said surely? But what about grace? Surely? These are the things that attack us. You see, the warning was given to Adam. This is how we process things. And now I'm looking into the mind of Eve as she's in this conversation with the serpent. God didn't tell Eve. How many times have you had a brother or sister who um, were the relayer of mom and dad's messages? But um, mom and dad didn't say that to me. Mom and dad told you they didn't tell me that. I'm just going to stay away from mom and dad so that they cannot tell me what they told you. Because if they don't tell me, then somehow in my mind I think I'm not accountable to what they have told you to tell me. Somehow it's your fault. And if I get caught, sure enough, I'm going to tell that Lee ain't tell me nothing. So I, I can't get punished. You should give Leah a double punishment because she kept that news from me that made me do what you told her to tell me not to do. So really, it's not my fault. It's Leah's fault. This is the way the Lysap children grew up. We blamed everybody but ourselves. This is how we think. Eve is saying that the, the warning itself isn't given to her, it was given to Adam. So then, if Adam's the one that got the warning, then the judgment, if judgment has to come, has to go to Adam. 
makes sense. Certainly God's not going to condemn me and leave Adam alone without a wife, without a companion, without a helper. I mean, really? God's not an Indian giver, so if First Lady goes left, she could get away with it. Not so much. Here's where we really get dangerous when we start thinking like this. God is so good, he'll forgive me. I'll just taste the fruit this time, then I'm going to ask God to forgive me for tasting the fruit. So I got the best of both worlds. How many of you ever told yourself that? I can get the best of both worlds. I can fool with this for a minute, but then I'm just going to ask God to forgive me. And because God is righteous and just to forgive us our sins if we ask him, that's what the Bible says, right? That God is just to forgive me if I just say forgive me? That's what it says, right? As if his forgiving me removes me from the consequences of my disobedience. My father forgave me too. He still whooped my behind. With all the love and forgiveness in his heart. How many of you told yourself, I'll just do it this one time? going to condemn me for this one time. Come on, he knows my human nature. How many of you know you can't make anything up to God? But how often have you told yourself, I'll make it up. I'll get him to do it and then I'll serve God in some special way. I'll I'll pray some extra this week. I'll, I'll give, I, you know, those homeless people on the, end, on the side of the road, I'm, I'm going to give them a couple extra dollars this week, you know. church and the preacher spoke over my life said I was going to be part of God saving millions right. that means I can do anything I want because God's not going to kill me because millions ain't saved so I, I can get away with it now when millions start getting saved I need to really start being good <laughs> but until that happens <laughs> see Adam and Eve were condemned to die. How many of you understand that die is what they did? Satan lied. He suggested a downright, bold-faced lie to Eve. Eve accepts the lie as truth by doubting what God has declared. She rationalizes and felt that the warning of God really wouldn't apply to her, at least not completely or not fully, not in the full weight of what he said because he didn't say it to her. We have to understand fully that God's warning about sin and the consequences of sin stands until the end of time. There is no escape from the judgment 
of sin. Grace is not an escape from the judgment of sin. Because the judgment of sin was carried out in Christ. Sin is always dealt with. Sin is always dealt with. Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God. Through who? And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You're not escaping. 2 Peter 2, 20-21 makes a very direct statement. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, watch this, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than their beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. God is full of grace. And the grace he gives is to empower you to live right. Because absent that power, your carnal nature would dominate your behavior. But the believer has transitioned from one power to another power, from one kingdom to another kingdom, from one ruler to another ruler. I don't care how high and mighty you are, you will always have a boss. Let me close with this. Temptation and sin will involve personal fulfillment. There's some fulfillment. There's some uh, reward in a sense that you're looking for. The problem is, is that you think sin gives you more fulfillment than living according to God's word. That somehow you gain and benefit more if you do the forbidden thing. And this is the final process of temptation. When you allow your mind to get this far with enticing thoughts, it is almost impossible to prevent sin from manifesting in your life. How many of you have ever played with fire? Most most people, it's not, it's not uncommon. How many of you have ever had a, a, a big lighter, flipped it off, and put your hand over it to see how close to the flame you can get before it really started to hurt? We do stuff like that. Now, maybe you don't hold a big lighter with a flame, but you do that very same thing 
with other things. How close to this can I get without getting burned? How much sin can I get away with before I've gone too far? How much can I say before I've said too much? How many of you have ever been there? I want to give you a piece of my mind. How many pieces can I give before I have no mind? And then I really tell you what I'm thinking. You see, there is the thought that we have needs that cannot be met any other way. This is what temptation will tell you. That your need can only be fulfilled if you do it this way. This is exactly what Satan says to Eve. He says this. God knows that when you eat of this tree, now you got to really pay attention to what the devil's saying here. Because this is the stuff that you tell yourself and don't even realize where it's coming from. God knows when you eat of this tree, or for us, do that thing, your needs are going to be met far more than if you didn't eat of it. God hasn't provided the best for you, at least not in the most fulfilling way. This is where we get ourselves in trouble. You see, there is the thought that our eyes will be open, that we will never know if we don't experience it. This is what Satan said to Eve. If you eat of the tree, do this thing. You will know more about it, how good it feels and tastes. And the only way you're going to know that is by doing that. You cannot know whether it is good or bad until you actually experience it. I cannot know that fooling around is bad unless I fool around. You see, this thought process, this kind of thinking will move you into a place of self-sufficiency and, and, and independence and a, a place of being an individual, individuality, of being your own person of determining your own destiny and fate. Now, some would say that in and of themselves, those are not necessarily bad things. But the raw thought, the underlying basis to these, this type of thinking is what Satan promised Eve. And this is what he promised. You shall be as gods. If you do this thing, you will be your own person, independent, individualistic. You will gain position and power. Do it. Do your own thing. Do it your own way. Follow your own truth. Do what it is that you want to do when you want to do it. It will be worth it. You see, being your own person brings... Fulfillment and satisfaction because it strokes your ego. It enhances your self-image. It brings excitement and stimulation and pleasure. Being your own person makes you as God. And as God, you now have power to determine your own destiny. Hallelujah. The hour is getting late. 
me just give you this last plug. Because there is a thought that we can know good and evil, that we can determine what is good and evil for us. You see, my good and evil may not be equal to Elder Marshall's good and evil. What I call good, Elder Marshall may call evil. What Elder Marshall calls evil, I may call good. Because I'm doing it my way. Satan told Eve that she could determine what she should do and could do for herself. That she could discern what is good and evil apart from what God says. That she needed to go ahead and do what she wanted. And by doing what she wanted, her own thing, she would gain power. But not just any power. A power that would allow her to govern or direct or order her own steps. That the only way that she could ever learn to choose the fullest life to discern good and evil would be if she went ahead and did what she wanted. That she didn't need God to tell her what to do, but she could, again, do it based on her own knowledge. We have to understand the attack of the enemy through temptation. You see, Satan has all kinds of strategies to attack us. The Bible tells us, put on the whole armor of God that he may be able to stand against the wiles, plural. Wiles is another word for strategy of the devil. Satan uses all kinds of devices and schemes to get us, uh, to get an advantage over us. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan's very cunning. He seeks to deceive us just like he did Eve. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, uh, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What Christ said is too easy. It's got to be more difficult than that. How many times have you told yourself that? This is too easy. It can't be this easy. It can't be this easy to be this greasy. <laughs> All right. Satan is a what? A roaring lion. He goes about seeking to devour anyone who will follow him. First Peter 5 and 8. Be sober, be diligent, because your adversary, the lion, as the, the, the adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I'll leave with this last one. Satan's going to tempt you when you have great need or, or you're the most susceptible to fall into sin. That is the year 2020. I started today and I'm going to close today with this. 2020 is the year of opportunity. Amen. It's the opportunity for you to stand on the promises of God or to give in to every lie the enemy's telling you. Telling you about you, about what you can have, about who you are, about relationships you're connected with. 
The enemy has been talking to you this entire year. This is the year of opportunity. And he wants to tempt you. And he's doing it because this is the year where we are experiencing great need. This is what the Bible says. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then when... Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he said, he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, the hunger of Christ was not an opportunity to turn rocks into bread, even though Jesus could very well have turned any rock that he saw in the wilderness because he created the rock. Amen. He could make that rock any Merlot's bread. He can make that rock old Charlie's butter-basted soft biscuit coming right out of the heat of the He could have sat there and turned a rock into the sweetest bread with honey of its own dripping out of it. If he wanted to. But he understood this was not the opportunity to satisfy my need, but to declare who I am in Christ. I don't need bread. I live by the everlasting word of God. 2020 is the year when I stand up and I declare pestilence may be in the land, but I stand on the promises of God and I shall be great. promise of God for me. This is the promise of God for you. Hallelujah. This is not a troublesome year. This is not a year of lack. This is not a year when I lose. Now watch this. I'm going to close my notes. I want to share this testimony with you. Those of you that know my wife know that she works at the Ohio State <laughs> University. And she's been gainfully employed for 19-ish years. And we've become dependent upon her earnings. Her money comes in, and because we truly believe that when God joined us, he made us one, 
We have all things common. There's not my check and her check. There's our check. There's not her money or my money. There's our money. So if her money gets affected, then my money gets affected because it's our money. Now I've told you what I see 2020 as. I want you. I want to tell you what the enemy wants me to see. I want, I want to tell you what the enemy wants you to see. My wife this week was just notified that her boss, my wife is an executive assistant. Her boss is the senior vice president of strategy for the Ohio State University. Ohio State's in the process of transition. Because Dr. Drake, the president, former president, moved out. A new president has moved in. How many of you know that transition, when it comes, is going to affect somebody? Well, the ideology of the new president is that strategy belongs in her office in her sphere. So you can't have two strategists strategizing for the goals of the university. Amen. So my wife's boss was ever so eloquently moved into retirement. And no one has any idea how that's going to affect her team. Amen. Now, most of her team, the majority of her team, has the ability to transition into other roles. Uh, but my wife is uniquely trained as an executive assistant, and there are no vacant executive assistant positions because the executive assistant that she was, or the senior vice president she was the executive assistant for is now gone. Which means that position is gone. My wife called me, and she's telling me this. She's my witness. I had the opportunity to be either angry because it's amazing how things you know, can develop. It, 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 when, when you get to a place where you can take yourself out of time, sometimes when you're in trauma, you take yourself out of time and you see things in a different time span. Things are moving slower or faster depending on what's going on. In that moment, is, is, it was that, is if I stepped out of time and I was seeing just a bunch of different things happening and I could see both laws in me warring you see, there was a part of me that said, I want to go find the president and write her as many tickets as I possibly can. Rationalize. I know if I drive behind you 
long enough, you're going to violate something. And because I'm really good with the law, you may violate stuff that you never knew was a violation. And I said, well, if she's not going to get a paycheck, I'm taking all that money out of her paycheck. Even though I still not get it, it's going to go to the city. Somebody's coughing up that shit. Because that's not right. And then the other part of me just simply said, it's going to be all right. And this is what I told my wife. She didn't, she didn't, wasn't privy to the conversation I was having in my head. Sometimes I talk to myself, um, and I, I answer myself too, which means I'm certified with crazy. But that's okay. That's a message for another day. That happened in an instant. And when she told me, I simply told her, I said, honey, it's going to be okay. Now watch this. I said to her, if you want to stay home, stay home. We're still going to be okay. I don't know how. Don't know how. But God said, we're going to be okay. If they find another position, good for them. It's only a benefit to them. But if they tell us on Monday that we don't have nothing for you, honey, I'm behind you 100%. You would be a stay-at-home father, I don't care. I support you in whatever you do. We may have to adjust our living. But that's okay. Now watch this. This is how you know we're connected. <coughs> she hears what I'm saying. She, she works through her emotions. She gets herself aligned to what she's hearing from God. And she says to me, you know, this would be an opportunity where I could be at church. And I could begin to set up programs. Yeah. And do things to administer the things that we're lacking Amen. in the church. I could get the different things that we want that we've talked about for years covered. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. And I said, I, I said, Amen. That that that's that is awesome. We don't pay much. <laughs> As your husband, I'd like to give you a seven-figure salary, but as your pastor, uh, we can't do that. You're going to have to work on an amortized budget, which means you get no money. Oh, my love. But it shows... Everything that you face is an opportunity for you to rise to greatness. When Abraham went up the hill, 
His goal was to sacrifice. He was going to sacrifice, but he brought no sacrifice with him because his son was the sacrifice. The son of promise. The one that was given to him according to what God declared. But when he went up, he said, I don't know. I know what I've been told. I know what I've been told. I was told that I, I, I got to sacrifice you. But when he talked to folk, you see, only two of them went up. Only two went up. His expectation was he was going to sacrifice one of them. But he said, we, not I, he said, we, y'all hang out down here because you can't be where God is going to provide what I need. But he said, mark my word, we will be back. We are coming through this. significant impact on our financial standing my spiritual standing says that I will be okay and when I say I I say I on purpose I say I on purpose because she and me are I we are one we are unique and individually connected so that you cannot see one without seeing the other. We're going to be just fine. And we have, the Bible says, make your plans. You know, do the stuff you that you can do. You know, lay stuff out. You know, but trust me. Yeah. So in my prayer time, I talked to God and I said, God, these this is Plan A. This is Plan B. This is Plan C. God, I have no D. Well, but I do have a G. So 
when A, B, and C fail, I'm going over into G. I don't even have to mess with D, E, and F. Because that's what God does. It's going to be okay. No matter what they say on Monday, in your meeting, God told me to tell you, not as your husband, but as his messenger and pastor in your life, whatever is said to you will be crafted and made for your good. The desire of your heart will be manifest on Monday. And you shall not have lack but I will take care of every one of your needs yeah. according to my riches in glory. Yeah. Says God to you. Thank <laughs> you. 